Well, good evening, everybody. Well, we are, uh, we're, we're wrapping up this Thriving in Babylon uh, series uh, tonight. I hope the last four weeks has been really helpful and beneficial to you. You know, the whole reason that we are doing this series um, is really is to learn to be faithful to God and to be fruitful for God in an increasingly post-Christian and godless culture where, yeah, all it does is just flip on news on your phone or wherever, and, it's, and it's, we're face-to-face with it. So as a quick review, let's back up and let me just hit the highlights of where we have been. So in the first week, you know, as we talked about how to thrive in Babylon, in our modern Babylon that we're in, the first week we talked about God's sovereignty. And now that's the bedrock foundation for everything that has come after that, that God is in control of who's in control. The second week, we talked about trials. We talked about trials, how the testing of our faith strengthens our spiritual vitality. Trials are not a bad thing. They are a gift to us if we have the right eyes to see them that way. And God is strengthening us where we are weak. Uh, so we can indeed thrive. The third week, we talked about hope. And when we talked about hope, we talked about in the Bible that biblical hope means certainty. It doesn't mean our modern definition of wishful thinking, but it means certainty that God is faithful and that his purposes will always come through. Last week, the theme was humility, was humility, having an honest assessment of yourself, an honest honest assessment of ourselves, and treating others better than ourselves, which is always attractive and builds influence. This is a truism with humility. Humility always attracts and pride always repels. And so as we've been looking at all these, we're really looking at how Daniel exemplified these in his story. And tonight, uh, for our final night, the the, the last trait we're going to look at is wisdom. We're going to look at wisdom, and we're going to look at how wisdom was displayed in Daniel's life and what God has to say throughout the whole counsel of his word about wisdom. Now, before we go any further, let me remind you about Babylon. Okay? Remember what Babylon is. At this time, it was a literal kingdom that was ruling and taking over lots of people. Okay? Uh, Babylon, as a culture, was so bad, it became synonymous with ultimate evil. Throughout the rest of Scripture, we read into Revelation, and it talks about, you know, when Jesus finally comes back, how Babylon will fall. And so Babylon, while at this time in the story it's a literal kingdom, it is a figurative illustration of ultimate evil in the world. And that's the environment that we find Daniel. And we find Daniel not just surviving, but we find Daniel thriving. We find him influencing. We see him uh, providing us a blueprint, so to speak, in how we can grow in a godless culture, and we can thrive, and we can advance the kingdom. Okay? Now, one thing I realize we have not done yet, and I think it would be really a really good thing to do tonight, 
is really take just a couple minutes. We're not going to spend long on this at all. But to review the book of Daniel, okay? Chapter 1 through chapter 12, what does it look like? So we're just going to hit this really quickly, chapter by chapter, because, you know, it's a, it's a famous book. It's, you know, as uh, Larry Osborne said, I think, in the first video, you know, it's a Sunday school teacher's dream, you know, with all the stories and everything that's in there. So let's do a quick overview of the book of Daniel, um, and then we'll jump in and read our scripture for tonight, watch our video, and go on with our lesson, okay? Let's do that. So uh, the review of Daniel first. In chapter 1, here's what we find in chapter 1. Chapter 1 is the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon. Jerusalem is besieged. People are taken captive. Daniel and his four friends are, are, are taken to Babylon. Uh, and, and also, they begin to rise uh, in, to influence in chapter 1. Chapter 2 is where we find King Nebuchadnezzar has his first dream. And no one could interpret the dream. None of his, you know, wise guys, uh, his magicians, his whoever, they couldn't, they couldn't interpret the dream. Daniel gets called in, and he interprets the dream. It's a good interpretation for the dream, and he gets promoted. That's chapter 2. Chapter 3 is where we find Daniel, and, you know, well, we find his three friends. You know, now they're known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They do not bow down to the big statue that King Nebuchadnezzar built of himself. And because of that act of defiance against the king, because they would only bow their knee to the Lord God, they were thrown into the fiery furnace, and they were delivered. Right? Great story. The guy looks in the furnace. Hey, didn't we throw three guys in here? Yeah, well, there's four. What's that about? Right? So they are, they are delivered. Chapter 4, and really this is the last, chapter 3 is the last time we hear uh, from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? <coughs> Excuse me. Chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar's second dream that could not get interpreted by his people. Daniel comes in again. He interprets a dream, not a good dream to interpret for Nebuchadnezzar. Um, it, it was about Nebuchadnezzar's fall, okay? But then by the end of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar's restoration because he repented, Okay, that's chapter 4. Now, chapter 5, a guy named Belshazzar, who is Nebuchadnezzar's son, comes into power. And this is a story where the hand comes in and writes on the wall, okay? And no one could interpret that. Daniel shows up again. He interprets the writing on the wall. And then he's promoted one more time uh, by Belshazzar. Chapter 6, fast forwards, and now you have this guy named Darius, he comes to power. Daniel is set up by uh, some guys in the court that don't like him, and he is thrown into the lion's den, okay? Another famous story. Gets in the lion's den. The angel of the Lord came down, closed her mouth, turns him into kitty cats, and he's great, okay? Um, and he's promoted yet again, okay? So we keep seeing this, we keep seeing this pattern with Daniel. Now, in Daniel chapters 7 through 12, they are very different than chapters 1 through 6. Chapters 7 through 12 is Daniel recording all of the various visions and prophecies that he had, but that the ones that he had over his history in Babylon. Okay? Um, so what we see here before each vision, he says, during, the, during this year of the reign of this ruler is when I had this vision. So 7 through 12 is really, uh, it doesn't come after the lion's den. It's kind of saying these are visions that I've had 
throughout my life during the reign of the various rulers. And one thing I want to point out in particular, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, two extremely important verses in the Old Testament, okay? Daniel 7, 13 and 14, this is Daniel's vision where he had… The, a few verses before, he had the vision of the Ancient of Days, okay, of, of God the Father sitting on his throne. And then in verses 13 and 14 is his vision of the Son of Man who was given dominion alongside the Ancient of Days. Now, why is this so important? Because Son of Man was Jesus' preferred title in referring to himself during his earthly ministry, coming from these two little verses in Daniel. And so this is where we get a very clear picture of uh, a preview, so to speak, of the gospel in Daniel, okay? So those are two really important because the way Jesus liked to talk to him, talk about himself most was talking about himself as the Son of Man, okay? So that is our overview of Daniel. Um, so that catches us up. So what I want to do now is zoom into a passage that's going to set the stage for us talking about wisdom tonight. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 17 through 21. It says this. It says, then, oh, here we go. As for the four youths, okay, Daniel, and then the four, his four friends, you know, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. That's God's word for us this morning. This morning. This evening. I need to go to sleep and wake back up. Um, so, these verses tell us about the wisdom of Daniel and his friends, but Daniel in particular. And Daniel in particular was given these, all this wisdom, this understanding. Do you remember the very first phrase here, as for the four U's? God gave them. So all this understanding, all this wisdom was given by God. The places of honor that Daniel was promoted and exalted up to was given by God. God's in control of who's in control. Now verse 21 um, helps us understand. Remember a couple weeks ago I was telling you how to read Daniel? That Daniel wasn't written like a diary. Daniel was written more like an autobiography of an old man looking back on his life, okay? Um, verse 21 in chapter 1 lets us know that because he says, you know, he was there until the first year of King Cyrus. 
from when Daniel was taken into captivity as a youth under King Nebuchadnezzar, and you fast forward to King Cyrus. Anybody know how long that was? Not quite. 70 years. Really close, Charlie. 70 years. So these 12 verses, these 12, ver- these, I mean, these 12 chapters encompass 70 years of Daniel's life. So let's talk about wisdom a little bit as we're going to look at the wisdom of Daniel. And just think, for your, think to yourself, who's the wisest person you know? Who's the wisest person you know? And aside from what they know, because I think oftentimes we attribute wisdom to knowledge. They just know a lot of stuff. It's part of it. But aside from what they know, here's the question. How do they live? How would you describe how the wisest person you know lives? How do they respond to people? Okay? Especially those who have different beliefs than they do. How does that wise person respond to them? What do they make a big deal of? And what do they not make a big deal of? Now, Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, verse 35, Jesus said that wisdom is proved by her children. What does that mean? It means this. It means wisdom is shown primarily in your living, not your knowledge, the results of your life, what you're birthing out of your life. Okay? So it's shown primarily in our living, not simply in our knowledge. So when you think about wise people, it's much more than just what they know, but it's how they live. So we ask this question, what is wisdom? A few things came to my mind as I studied Scripture and looked through all this. So the first thing is this about what is wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge, because knowledge is a part of it, knowledge that's gained through experience. Knowledge that gained through experience. Right? I mean, you can be book smart, but kind of life dumb. You ever know people like that? Right? So it's wisdom gained through experience. And here's the thing. Listen, when we talk about wise people, there's a reason that there's a caricature of wise people as this old guy in robes with a staff. Right? Because most wise people are older people. They've got life behind them. Because experience is a key ingredient to wisdom. Another part of wisdom is this, is discernment. It's looking and understanding past the surface. And also, I would add, down the road. So you're just not going to look at the the exterior of something, of a person or or something like that. And you're just not going to look here and the here and now. You're going to be able to look and see beyond that and down the road into the future and understand the implication of things. So discernment is a big part of wisdom. This last part I think of wisdom is this, is understanding what knowledge to apply and what action to take based on the circumstance and people involved. Okay? Here's what I mean by that. There's no boilerplate for anything. It's not just, oh, well, just, just do this. Oh, just do this. Oh, just do this. Okay? Listen, life is not an assembly line. It's not like, you know, back, you know, when 
Henry Ford, you know, was making his cars, and he put together this assembly line, and these guys just made this little part, and these guys just made this little part, and this guy, you know, all you're doing is putting a steering wheel on day, and so, and at the end of the day, at the end of the assembly line, everything that comes off of it looks exactly the same. That's not life. Life is not an assembly line. It's not the same answer, the same part for every circumstance, no matter what time of day, no matter what day of the week, no matter what month of the year, no matter what decade. It's not that. We have to understand what knowledge to apply in this particular situation so we know what action to take based on where we're at and who we're with. Okay? That's a huge part of wisdom. Wisdom often understands that in this world, there are some things that are black and white. There are some things that are right, and there are some things that are wrong. And Scripture is very clear on that. But wisdom also understands that there are many things that are gray. There are many things that are gray, and understanding, exercising wisdom in the gray areas means you're able at this time to both honor God and love people well. That is exercising wisdom. We're going to dive into this a little bit more, and we're going to sh- I'm going to pull. I'm going to show you some things in Scripture that talk about things like this. Okay. Um, we're getting ready to turn the video on here in a minute. I'm going to tell you, there's a couple things in this video that might make some of you a little uncomfortable tonight. All right? So just be prepared. You may not agree with some of the things that you see or hear, and that's okay. Pray for wisdom. Pray for understanding. Pray for a non-critical spirit. Okay? Let's, let's, let's approach this, because this is a really important topic, and in the day that we're in today, this is, this is huge, all right? So uh, check the video out, and I'll be back in just a few minutes. I warned you it was going to get in your business tonight. So, but it's good, though, and these are, this is where we have got to really wrestle with the real life, everyday stuff that we face, especially as we are trying to engage people who are far from God, who are in this culture, who do not have the hope of Christ in them. So here's what I, here's what I want to do. Um, we're, gonna, we're just going to recap some really big ideas uh, from the video. Uh, we're going to look at some scriptures. And the first thing we're going to look at is what are the wisdom builders? What are the things that we need to practice to help build wisdom in our life? And then we're going to look briefly at the, uh, the wisdom stunters, the things that keep us from growing in wisdom. So as we talk about wisdom builders, the first one we have to talk about, there's no way around it because it's the foundation for everything is this. The first wisdom builder is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Here is the truth, everybody. If you are not living under God's authority, you will never be as wise as you could be. You can't live life rejecting the creator of life and expect to be truly wise. Fear of the Lord is the foundation and the source of all true wisdom. The second one, the second one is this. The second wisdom builder is perspective. It's perspective. This means having a big picture point of view. 
You're just not looking at the forest that you're in, but you're able to, you know, the trees, you're able to pull back and see the beauty of the whole forest. Um, you know, when we, we remember, we, we look in these visions uh, of Dan, that Daniel had that's in chapters 7 through 12, remembering that they happened over a period of 70 years of his time in Babylon. Now, that type of prophecy is typically, it's called apocalyptic literature, looking down the road, end time sort of things, right? And so here's the thing about apocalyptic literature, end time prophecies, they most often occur during times of exile to God's people. Why do they? Because that's when God's people need hope and encouragement that the good guys win in the end. Okay? That's why we have that. So it is, we look at a, at a man like Daniel, 70 years in a culture like Babylon, and God gave him tremendous visions of the good guys winning in the end through that to help him get through that. So we need to have perspective. In his book, Thriving in Babylon, Larry Osborne has a quote in there about this, and he says, history is played out over centuries, not decades. You know, we get lost in the, in the days and the weeks and the, and the decades. History is really played out over centuries. The third wisdom builder is this, is expectation, is expectation, okay? This is where we're talking about respecting differences, respecting differences between people. Not always agreeing, but respecting, okay? When it comes to expectation, we cannot expect a non-Christian to think and act like a Christian. And it's very easy for us to fall into that trap, isn't it? Why? Well, because we know we have the truth. We know what's best for people. I mean, because we, we, we know what God's Word says, and we know His design for life. And so I think, you know, I'm not going to throw us under the bus if we fall into this, because I really think it comes from a good place right? But we can't expect a non-Christian to think and act like a Christian. You know, so take a minute and think about your frustrations. Think about your disappointments. Think about your conflicts that you have. You know, and really, is a lot of that coming from, is it centered around those frustrations, those disappointments, those conflicts? Are they centered around unrealistic and, and inappropriate expectations that you have on somebody else? I think the answer to that, probably more often than not, is yes. This is, you know, this is where, you know, one of those verses that, that he referenced in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, it says this. It says, For what have I to do, Paul writes, with judging outsiders, meaning those outside the church, non-Christians? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Verse 13 actually goes on and says, God judges those outside. Okay? Um, you know, we don't, we don't judge outsiders because they don't live by the same convictions that we do. Okay? That's not our place to sit in judgment. So, expectation is, uh, is a wisdom builder. Uh, the next wisdom builder is this, is personal honesty. Personal honesty. And I want to, we're going to, I really pray you guys hear this one. This is about knowing how to divide your personal preferences and convictions from God's law. It's knowing how to divide your personal preferences and convictions from God's law. Let's look in Romans chapter 14 and see what Paul wrote there. So Romans 14, verse 1, says this, As 
for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Over opinions. Verse 2 says, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now, dietary issues back in this time were a big deal because so much meat uh, that was available, especially in the Roman culture, was just, it was just, you know, earlier in the day, it was sacrificed down the road at the temple, right? So it was this idol sacrifice. That's one, so this is a huge issue. When we read Romans and Corinthians, it keeps bringing food up. That's why. But let's jump down and look at verses 5 and 6. It says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. So do you see here, this, is, this would be one of those gray areas that I talked about earlier. So when it comes to food, when it comes to certain days, and it was what Paul is talking about here, listen, he says there's room for opinion and personal conscience and conviction because God doesn't give us a clear answer here. We're going to exercise wisdom based on our knowledge, our circumstance, the people that we're with. Okay? So personal honesty, knowing, you know, and here's, and guys, listen, We've got to understand that a lot of the things that we may hold convictions on um, with how we live our life out as a Christian has a lot to do that we live in America in the 21st century. Okay? I mean, we live 500 years ago. It would, it would maybe look a little different. If we live in another part of the world, it might look a little different. Okay, because there is some cultural influence on how we view things. That's just how it works. So we need to have a—this is, again, this is where humility comes in and being honest. Okay? So personal honesty. The third wisdom builder is—I mean, the next wisdom builder is exposure. Exposure. This—I'm talking about seeking to truly love and understand those different from you. Okay? Those who are different from you. It does not mean endorsing. It does not mean endorsing what am I talking about. Let's look, at this. Let's look at a little thing off of Jesus' life. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man, was he? Right? Um, bad dude as far as Jews go in that culture. Traitor is what he was. Extortionist is what he was. What did Jesus do? He went and had dinner with a guy at his house. And he's ca- catching all sorts of flack from the Pharisees and all that sort of thing, okay? Just because Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, and by the way, he never told Zacchaeus what we're told in Scripture. He never said, hey, you should stop being a tax collector, and you should, you should return all the… Jesus, we don't, we don't have a record that he said that. But what we see is Jesus went to his home. He dined with him. He shared table with him, which is very intimate in this culture. That does not mean that Jesus endorsed the lifestyle and the vocation that he was doing. And because of the love that he was shown, Zacchaeus' heart was changed. And Zacchaeus made repentance, didn't he? Okay? So, but we have to, we have to expose ourselves to people who are different from us if we're going to have any hope of influence. Okay? 
So those are the wisdom builders. Let's finish up real quickly here, and we're going to only look at three wisdom stunters. Three wisdom stunters. The first wisdom stunter is this, and it's really in, in direct opposition to the first one, to the first wisdom builder. The, this wisdom stunter is this, fear of anyone or anything other than the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of anything else is going to stunt your wisdom, okay? Um, this includes people. It includes government. It includes culture. It includes Satan. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And then Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 Jesus says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So listen, you know, Scripture is so clear. I mean, fear not is like one of the number one commands that we have. And the only person we're truly supposed to have fear of from a worship, respect, honor, submission, those sorts of things, is the Lord. We don't have to fear anybody or anything else. So fear of anyone or anything other than the Lord is a wisdom stunter. The second wisdom stunter is this, is legalism. This is what Larry was talking about in the video. Legalism, which is basically means making your preferences or convictions that you have a right to, okay? I mean, we have a right to them, but when you make your preferences and convictions rules for everybody, that's legalism. Okay? Let's look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 20 through 23. It says, um, it says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. There is a key phrase, according to human precepts and teachings, according to people's opinions. Verse 23, these have indeed, what do they have? An appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So listen, man-made rules, man-made opinions is not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to get you anywhere. And like he mentioned in the video, you may be able to chapter and verse it, but here's the deal. Most often, you're going to be pulling that out of context, and you're going to miss the heart of God's Word. Hosea 6.6 6 says, you need to learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus said that again in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. He says, he told the Pharisees, you need to go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Stop trying to impress me with your quote-unquote holy life. That's not getting you anywhere because there's no mercy in your heart. So legalism is the second wisdom center. The third wisdom center, the last one, is isolation. Isolation. Creating a Christian subculture versus engaging the culture with the gospel. We create a, we create a Christian subculture versus engaging the culture with the gospel. Now, listen, as Christians, what do we have? We have our own schools. Man, we have a school, right? We have our own schools. We have our own stores, right? 
Because I'll guarantee you, listen, if we're going to go like do some crafts, we're going to go to Hobby Lobby before we go to Michael's most often. Right? We're going to go eat at Chick-fil-A and Pizza Ranch. We're going to go to our own restaurants. We're going to watch our own movies. We're going to get our Pure Flix subscription at home. We even have our own Christian threads with our own, like, we're going to take, like, this pop culture phrase, and we're going to Jesify it, right? Put Jesus in it somewhere, right? And we're going to wear our own clothes. Now, listen, I'm not saying all that's bad by any means. They're, they're good things. They're good things. But if the motivation for having all those things and going all those places is rooted in this fear of contamination, like the spiritual cootie thing, if it's rooted in fear or rooted in a judgmental spirit, I'm just saying you might have some praying to do. That's all I'm saying. Okay? If you only hang around Christians at Christian places, you have isolated yourself from your God-given mission field. That's what you've done. We are called to be salt and light. Jesus says this in the beginning of the greatest sermon ever. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And here's the thing with salt and light. They're only good when they're applied. Salt doesn't do any good in the, in the shaker. You've got to put it on that piece of meat. Right? Light does not do any good if it's, if it's put under a bowl. It's got to be set forth. It's got to be applied to things, right? We are in the world, proximity. We are not of the world, identity. Yet we are sent to the world, and that's our mission. We've got to get this, everybody. Listen, uh, John, uh, I think, uh, let me read this for you because I think we, I messed the slides up. John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Listen to these few verses. Jesus prays this for you and me. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Two very different things. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We are sent into the world. We are sent into Babylon, everybody. We are living in Babylon, and God sent us here. Why? Because we can't influence it from a distance. We can't influence we can't influence anybody or anything from a distance. You will never gain the wisdom needed to love and speak into a non-Christian's life, much less the culture, if you always remain isolated and at a distance. We have to apply the salt and light that we have and that we are. That's what this is all about. This, and listen, as we do this, it's hard, it's risky, it's scary, but in that we find that we can thrive. And that's where we find we have the opportunity to greatly influence people for the advancement of the gospel and the growth of the kingdom. And where people who are living in a fear-driven, dark world find hope and find light. 
Daniel was given a pagan name, and he learned all there was to learn about Babylon, their cultural culture, their religion, their language. He spent 70 years living and working and following and honoring godless people and rulers. He may have done some things that we wouldn't have agreed with. He was exercising some wisdom. He may have held some opinions that we wouldn't have held. But wisdom guided his decisions and his actions, and God kept raising him up and promoting him. Same thing with Jesus, right? Jesus did the same thing. Have you ever stopped to think about all the people that hung out with Jesus? The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the beggars, just the all-around sinners that love to hang out with Jesus? Listen, you know who you want to be around? You want to be around the people that love you and accept you, right, and give you life. That's the people you want to be around, not the people who judge you and are prideful, right? These people hung around with Jesus because he was giving them life. He was loving them. That's why they were hanging out with him. You know, listen, I, I, I saw this quote somewhere. I remember I put it on social media, and it just came to my mind when I was writing this too. The people that we spend most of our life trying to avoid are the people that Jesus spent most of his life engaging. That's how Jesus lived his life backwards from us. You know, one of the worst things that Jesus was called by the Pharisees other than a blasphemer, Luke 7, 34. You know what they called him? A glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of sinners. Because who he was hanging out with, what he was eating, and what he was drinking. That's what they called Jesus. It's the worst they can call him other than a blasphemer. And you know what Jesus said right after that, that verse? I read it earlier. Wisdom is proved by her children. You call me that, look what's going on. Look what's happening with my life, though. And look at the people that are finding hope and love. Listen. Are the glutton, drunkards, and sinners, are, are they your people? Because they were Jesus' people. They need to be our people. Listen, is society getting darker? Sure it is. Sure it is. You know, Christians are the ones getting blamed and sued for things now. That was different 50 years ago. The value of life is becoming diminished. Immorality is normalized and championed. Government is not for the people. It's for the powerful, and government is terribly polarized. But here's the truth about the dark. The darker it gets, the more powerful even the tiniest of light is. That's what we need to remember. We are not in a hopeless time. We are in a hopeful time. Daniel was a powerful, tiny light. He was one of four guys in an entire kingdom. Don't be afraid of a dark culture, everybody. Don't hide. Don't complain. Don't wish for better days gone by because they weren't that great, really. To thrive in our current Babylon, we've got to trust in God's sovereignty. We have to embrace the trials that are going to grow our faith. We have to hold on to hope. We have to practice humility. And we have to be a person of wisdom. Easter is coming up. You live, you work, you go to school, you shop, you go to the gym next to someone in our current Babylon that's lost in the dark. We are preparing to celebrate the greatest light the world has ever seen in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. You need to invite those people. 
here for Easter. You need to invite them into this light. But you know what you need to do first? Do not invite them into your light until you go into their darkness. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. The darkness of this world did not phase him. And it should not have to phase us because we have this, because we have his spirit inside of us. Let's go into their dark and then bring them into our light. And that's where we'll see God do great and amazing things. You will thrive, they will thrive, and we will see this culture have a dent in it for the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's stand, let's pray together. Father God, some big concepts for us to wrestle with. And we need wisdom that is rooted in the fear and worship and honor of you. Lord, help, please help us to repent of where we're holding on to our opinions and our preferences and we're making rules for everybody. Lord, help us to repent of our fear. Help us to repent of our isolation. Lord, build up. Help us to build these wisdom builders in our life so we can thrive in this Babylon. Lord, the people that we rub shoulders with every day can find hope. They will not come on their own, God. We need to go grab their hand. We need to boldly go into their darkness and love them and be there for them even when it's hard and even when we're uncomfortable and earn that right to be heard because we love them so well because of your great love for us. Lord, I know there are thousands of people that are just waiting for someone to come into their darkness and love them and bring them into the light that's only found in your Son. Give us boldness and give us courage and give us faith and help us to thrive because you are a good and you are a great God and you have given us hope, and you give us humility, and you give us wisdom. Lord, thank you so much for coming into our darkness, and help us just to be about your business now with joy and with expectation. We love you. Thank you so much for loving us so well. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty and holy name. And all God's people say it together. Amen. Amen. All right. Love you guys. See you Sunday.